Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and Happy Feast of the Epiphany. We just, I just did an episode on that. I did the readings. And so this is going to be episode three of the new year, and this is going to be our third season. So we're in a very dramatic week this week. We're going to find out what's going to happen. Will um, President Trump succeed and get a second term? Or will we have a Joe Biden-Harris administration? Um, it's going to be very dramatic. I, um, I have to say, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm praying. We're all praying. We're all hoping that something good will come out. At the same time, we are going to be in a very, um, well, we're still in a very dramatic period. Uh, the pandemic, this Corona virus, Wuhan virus, uh, we're living in a very dramatic times, definitely. Um, and we're going to find out what's going to happen. I don't know. We can only pray that God, uh, that God will give us something good. And either regardless, um, our Lord is in control. He's the Lord of history. And um, that's, that's what we have to, we have to remember that. Um, you know, the interesting thing is I was thinking um, about the, the three wise men. You know, those men were driven. They were driven dramatically to go and find, to seek, to seek out and find, just like our Lord said, seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. Ask and it shall be given to you. And they did that. They went seeking and they found what they were seeking. They knocked and the door was opened to them. They asked and it was given to them. And once they found what they were looking for, uh, they stopped looking all the signs, the formulas that they use, the calculations that they use for following that star. And suddenly God spoke to them in their sleep, in a dream. And they went home in a different way. Those were probably very special men. Very special men. We call them kings because they left like kings. Um, But some believe that they were kings when they came. We have songs for them. We three kings of Orient are. And, you know, maybe because they stood in front of a, a cruel king like King Herod, who was like a sly serpent, they, who knows what they thought of him? Who knows what, we, you know, the, the scriptures doesn't give us the details. We can fill in these details ourselves. But when they found the child, they rejoiced. And they paid him homage and they gave him gold, frankincense and myrrh. It was probably a year or two years later when they found him. Because he was already a toddler. Can you imagine what went in their minds? Was it dramatic? Child coming out, child standing in front of them, this little human being, this little child who probably maybe in many ways looked ordinary and in many ways there was something Unordinary. In my mind, for someone like myself who comes from Middle Eastern culture, I picture a little kid with curly hair probably, like most Middle Eastern children, with chubby cheeks, big eyes, wide eyes, probably hazel, maybe brown, you know, fair, you know, a fair kind of skin with an olive tone to it. You know, very 
some soft features, maybe. You know, I'm sure he looked a lot like his mother, obviously. And he stood there. Maybe there was an intelligence in his eyes that's different from other children. And they opened their gifts, gold for a king, frankincense for divine worship, and myrrh for his atonement and sacrifice. Did they understand this? Did they comprehend this, these wise men? Who knows? And, you know, it's difficult to say. And then suddenly, they just went a different direction, went home in a different direction, but didn't report back to Herod. Very frightening thing. You know, when you realize how evil and cruel someone is, some people can sense a cruelty in a person. He must have been possessed. There must have been something demonic about him. This Herod the Great. Even though he did fantastic things, built the temple, was a great engineering genius, but he was a man with a lot of blood on his hands and many, many crimes under him. Even murdered his own children. It's a remarkable thing. You know, when you think of the drama of history, some things happen automatically. And sometimes we don't realize that we're living in a dramatic period. We're living in a dramatic period now. What's going to happen, I don't know. I don't have the answer to it. No one does. How could I? If I did, I probably would find a way out of it. <laughs> All of any of us would. We don't know what's going to happen. We just have to brace ourselves and prepare for good or bad. All right, so um, let's do the readings for um, the entrance antiphon for this. O holy day, a, a holy day has dawned upon us. Come, you nations, and adore the Lord, for a great light has come down upon the earth. O God, whose eternal word adorns the face of the heavens, yet accepted from the Virgin Mary the frailty of our flesh, grant, we pray, that he who appeared among us, the splendor of truth, may go forth into in the fullness of power for, for the redemption of the Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so let's go into the first reading here. It's from First John, first letter of John, chapter three, twenty-two to forty-six. Test the spirit to see whether they belong to God. A reading from the first letter of Saint John. Beloved, we receive from Him whoever we ask, whatever we ask. I'm sorry. Beloved, we receive from him whatever we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And his commandments is this. We should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Love one another just as he commanded us. Those who keep his commandments remain in him and he in them. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit whom he gives us. Beloved, do not trust every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they belong to God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that, of, that acknowledges Jesus Christ came in the flesh belongs to God, and every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus does not belong to God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, who, as you heard, is to come, but in fact is already in the world. You belong to God, children, and you have conquered them. For the one who is in you is greater than, though, than the one who is in the world. They belong to the world according, accordingly. Their teachings belong to the world, and the world listens to them. We belong to God, and anyone who knows God listens to us. 
while anyone who does not belong to God refuses to hear us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deceit. This is very powerful. It's obviously, it's warning us to be careful of deception. A lot of people think we're living in that time uh, because of the confusion going on within the church. The confusion of, of ideas. You know, um, the fact that we have, it seems like our teachers, our instructors, our shepherds seem to be lacking conviction you know, um, a lot of us are confused about the Holy Father, about Pope Francis, what his ideas are. You know, he seems to be a man who has this belief in a very human, humanistic attitude about the faith. He's aligned himself with a lot of secular humanist people. You know, when you see... You see this. Then we hear about instructors, teachers who don't seem to believe the divine truth of the faith, right? I mean, I don't like it when I hear priests that seem to downplay the scriptures, downplay the supernatural part of the scriptures as though they're trying to make you feel ashamed for believing in, in the supernatural quality of the faith and supernatural truth of the faith you know, whether they are really inspired by God or were they, were they just written by men who had inspiration in them, but not divine guidance, not divine, divinely moved, or that they have actually experienced the truth. It seems that way. A lot of our scholars, they're supposed to teach us the faith, seem to do more but to destroy the faith in us and that's that's a very troublesome thing because is it true i mean if that's true then what about the eucharist how do we know the eucharist is true is 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 is, is they're not saying they're not going to tell us is a false is it if jesus is not really god then what does it say about the eucharist is it just a symbol is it just a uh, you know an idea was it created as an idea what does this say? I remember some fellow who was one of the Jesus Seminar movement. I'm going to take, uh, say that he was. Didn't believe that the angels really appeared in the field. It was probably family members announcing the birth of a child, the birth of a son. In other words, they just decided to put the angels in. That's that that that's exactly what he was saying. That it was family members announcing the good news. And then some like would say that he wasn't born in Bethlehem, that he was probably in Nazareth, that there was no census, and that uh they all um because of Jesus' death, that they all came that they all um uh kept brought on the memory of Jesus, kept the memory of Jesus alive, that they created a resurrection Jesus in their minds and in their hearts, that uh, some even try to make Jesus Christ into some kind of social justice warrior, a revolutionary, uh, someone who challenged the, the corrupt establishment, you know, like that, or uh, that they decided... Um, that basically um, they had a hallucination of, uh, of a resurrected Jesus. That they all had, I mean, think about it. Then, then they all had the same hallucination, which is impossible. If you talk to any psychiatrist, anyone, there's no, nothing in the world where someone can have the same hallucination. It's impossible. This is where they say, where it says in John, you have to test every spirit. 
Sometimes, look, the devil can slide into a lot of people, even into some scholars, even those who are clerics, who are pastors, ordained ministers, can be seduced by through pride and their own arrogance. Because they lost the faith somehow. It's obvious. This is why John says, Test every spirit. Test every single spirit. We receive from him whatever whatever we ask. We receive from him whatever we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases what pleases him. And his commandment is this we should believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ. Believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ. Love one another just as he commanded us. Those who keep his commandments remain in him and he in them. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit whom he gave us. Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. Beloved, do not trust every spirit, small s. Do not trust every spirit, small case s. But test the spirits, again, small s, to see whether we belong to God whether they belong to God. Okay, test every spirit whether they belong to God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I don't need to tell you, okay, any religion, any other religion that denies the incarnation, denies the truth, denies that Jesus Christ is God, is a false religion, plain and simple. Okay, plain and simple. If they go around saying that Jesus is not God and that what you, what Christianity says is a lie, that you guys have corrupted the religion, that religion is a liar, is of the Antichrist. And whoever established that religion is a false prophet. It doesn't make a difference whether it's the modern politically correct Catholic Church, social justice Catholic Church, than those who are in the Catholic Church who teach these false truths like Father James Martin or anyone else who teaches that, you know, you don't have to believe every single thing the scripture says. You don't have to really believe this stuff. You could still be a Catholic and not believe in the virgin birth and not believe in the miracles. Oh, that Jesus got everybody to share everything. But he didn't really multiply the bread and loaves. But somebody was walking around with a with a you know a, a leg of lamb underneath his robes, or some people walked around with with uh, salted fish under their robes, and everybody was you know carrying cheese or something like that, or everybody miraculously had was going around carrying figs or dates. No, Jesus multiplied the bread and fish. These people who tell you otherwise are false prophets and they are, a, they are the, of the devil. Simple as that. They're too ashamed or too proud to admit, to, to admit that they just don't believe. Remarkable how an atheist, for some strange reason, is a New Testament scholar. He talk about, talk about you know, you, you can't, you know, not giving it up. Really, Seriously. All right, so let's continue. All right. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ came in the flesh. All right, let me read it one more time. This is how you can know the Spirit of God. Every spirit, lowercase. Okay, the first one, this is how you can know the Spirit of God. Spirit of God, capital S, Holy Spirit. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ came in the flesh belongs to God. And every spirit, lowercase s, does not acknowledge Jesus, does not belong to God. Okay? Whoever denies and refuses to acknowledge Jesus, does not believe Jesus came in the flesh, does not believe in the incarnation, does not believe in the divinity of Jesus, is not of God. Plain and simple. Okay? There is, there is no other way. The church fathers have all believed, all the Christians before us who died for the faith, 
believe it. They didn't die for social justice. They died because of the faith. They died because they believe in Jesus. All the other stuff, so the justice and, and truth and fighting for the poor and all that stuff, all that stuff is true. But you can't, but none of it is going to be true if you don't believe Jesus is true. Okay? This spirit is of the Antichrist. All right. This spirit is of the Antichrist. Okay? Who does not acknowledge that Jesus does not acknowledge Jesus does not acknowledge does not um sorry. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Okay, hold on. Let me go back. Sorry, I got myself mixed. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus does not belong to God. Every spirit that does not belong to Jesus does not belong to God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, who, as you heard, is to come, but in fact is already in the world. But in fact is already in the world. You belong to God. If you believe Jesus Christ came in the flesh, you believe that Jesus Christ is truly God and truly truly man. You believe in the, in the virgin birth. You believe in the incarnation. You believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. You belong to God. You belong to him. It's plain and simple. There is no other way. If you do not belong to, if you do not believe in this, then you don't belong to God. It's hard for false people, false people, people who do not believe, who do not have the faith to keep their faith, to keep their lack of faith hidden. The same way for someone who believes cannot remain quiet. You have to speak the truth. You have to speak the truth. You have to declare it. If you don't, it eats you up inside. This is why we have to read the scriptures, study the faith, read the scriptures, study the faith over and over again. Keep praying, praying that rosary. Read the Bible every day. Spend some moments talking to God. Read good, good spiritual books. Make notes for yourself. If you like something, write it down. Write it down. Write where you read it. Write the book. Write the page number. The catechism. Write down the catechism number. Don't have to be a scholar, but you can be knowledgeable about your faith. When you read your Bible, have a dialogue with God. Have a dialogue with Him. Lord, is this me? Lord, protect me. Make sure that I don't deny you. Things like that. And continue. All right. So, and it says here, as you know, okay, about the Antichrist. In fact, he's already, in fact, is already in the world. You belong to God. Children, you have conquered them. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Jesus Christ is God powerful in you if you receive the Eucharist receive the Eucharist receive the sacrament I was watching um, in the Eastern Orthodox Church they have a very simple way of, of saying uh, a penance of act of contrition Lord Jesus Christ some of the living God have mercy on me Lord Jesus have mercy on me Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, save me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. You know, it's very interesting. It's very beautiful. And if you really mean it, and you really confess in your heart that you're a sinner, that you repent of your sins, and, you know, you promise to go to confession, to a proper confession, you receive the Eucharist, and then you go you, you, you know, even though we, we may have gone to confession, we still have to admit that we're sinners. We cannot deny that we, we have sin in us. If we deny we have sin, then we make him into a liar. And then we are liars. As simple as that. And it's, it's, it, you continue here. Children, you have conquered them. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They belong to the world, meaning the unbelievers. According to their teachings, listen to that, listen to very carelessly, accordingly 
their teaching belongs to the world and the world listens to them. Okay, read it one more time. They belong to the world. Accordingly, their teaching belongs to the world and the world listens to them. We belong to God and anyone who knows God listens to us while anyone who does not belong to God refuses to hear us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of and, and the spirit of deceit. You compare the spirit of truth and the spirit of deceit. The lie and the truth. Nothing good comes out of lies. Nothing good comes out of lies. The first letter of St. John. Read it. Chapter 3, verse 22 to 40. Chapter chapter um, First letter of John, chapter 3. Verse 22, and then uh, chapter 4 to 6. Read it. Read this. This is very important. The Holy Spirit put this in here. In the early days of the church, false teachers rose up that denied who Jesus Christ is. Some of them were called Gnostics. Later on, they were called Arianism by a bad deacon called Arius who denied that Jesus is God. And, did, and the, these people were false teachers. And they misled a lot of people from the faith, made a shipwreck of people's spiritual lives. Okay. Um, response to all your psalm. Psalm uh, chapter 2. And this is a response. Psalm 2. I will give you all the nations for an inheritance. I will give you all the nations for an inheritance. The Lord said to me, you are my son. This day I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for an inheritance and in the ends of the earth for your possession. This is Psalm 2 when it's talking about the Lord setting up his Messiah, setting up his Christ, setting up his anointed one on the throne. He will rule all the nations and God will give him the entire earth for his. The next uh, a verse. Now, O kings, give heed. Take warning, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice before him. With trembling, rejoice. I will give you all the nations for an inheritance. I will give you all the nations for an inheritance. All right. Now, the Alleluia Antiphon. It's from Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Alleluia, alleluia. Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom and cured every disease among the people. Alleluia, alleluia. All right, one more time. Alleluia, alleluia. Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom and cured every disease among the people. Alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, alleluia. Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom and cured every disease among the people. Alleluia, alleluia. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Nephetelli that what had been said through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Nephetelli, the way to the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sit in darkness have seen a great light, and those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death, light has risen. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He went around all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, curing every disease and illness among the people. His fame spread to all of Syria, and they brought to him all who were sick with various diseases and racked with pain, those who were possessed, lunatics and paralytics. He cured them. A great crowd from Galilee, the Diacopolis, Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan followed him. 
The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is, um, if we look at it carefully, we have to really, really examine what's happening here. Matthew was what Matthew is saying to us, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. All right. John was at the Jordan and eventually Herod, Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, had John the Baptist arrested and he took John and he put him in prison. Now, the one who really wanted John arrested was Herodias, Herod's wife. She hated John because John declared that their union was against God because Herod Antipas took Herodias, who was his brother's wife, okay, and he took her onto, as his. Everybody knew what, that this was a terrible union because they knew that he, you know, his brother, obviously, and they knew that Herodias was married to him. Now, Herodias was also a scandalous woman because she had a daughter named Salome. Salome was um, probably not her husband's daughter. This was a woman who got around a lot, unfortunately, and she had a scandalous past and she you know, had a scandalous life. Now, anyway, continuing from there, Jesus himself withdrew. And he went to Galilee. He decided to begin his mission in Galilee, which fulfilled the prophecy uh, of one of the prophets. Uh, right now, I can't think of the... Um, Isaiah, I'm sorry. Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled. Land of Ziblon, land of Nephetali, the way to the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. And on those who dwelling in the land overshadowed by death, light has arisen. Now, Galilee was a very, very metropolitan place, very metropolitan. Now, the uh, Decopolis, the place called Decopolis, at the end of the reading, and a great crowds from Galilee and the Decopolis. Decopolis was a, a uh, metropolitan Greek city, not far from Nazareth, probably uh, a lot of, a big marketplace, lots of trade, different people coming from Asia, uh, people coming from um, from places like Syria, Damascus, um, even as far off from uh, places from the Greeks. There was a lot of Greeks, lots and lots of Greeks. Lots of people, different merchants from different parts came there. Herod the Great built many towns and ports and cities to draw business. And he built them on the route straight to Damascus. And Galilee uh, had a lot of, uh, had the city built. And this was important to the Herods because they wanted to continue to draw business. And they had to keep drawing business. Now, Galilee is not far from uh, Jaffa or places like the ports, the great seaports, because a lot, of, a lot of them came from Asia Minor, right across the sea. If you look at your map, you'll see the islands, the Galilee, the islands. Um, says here, like you see it says here, um, the way to the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Even in Isaiah's day, it was a very big place for Gentiles. And at that time, Jesus, in Jesus' day, they spoke a lot of Greek. Latin was the government language of the Roman Empire. But even if you go to places like Rome, in uh, Rome or even parts of Italy, Greek was spoken almost more than, than, than Latin. A lot of speak people spoke a lot of uh, Greek. And uh, uh, Alexander the Great, he made that possible. He made it possible because it was an easy language to learn. And, you know, even if you muddled it up a little bit, there was what you call merchant Greek, which was what the Gospels were written in. A lot of people spoke a lot of Greek. And... Joseph would have to have known Greek when he took Mary and Joseph to Alexandria. Even Mary would have to have known some Greek. They spoke Aramaic. Aramaic was spoken, but also there was a lot of Greek. And the Gospels made it possible for it 
for to be written and made it um, the the Greek made it possible for the gospels to spread around the world. I mean, someone like Saint Paul would have like he known he knew his Hebrew clearly. He also knew his Greek, and he probably knew Latin. Some people probably knew Hebrew, Greek, Latin, right, and Aramaic, and they could speak four different languages, read into all four different languages. Maybe Jesus himself probably knew, obviously he knew Aramaic and he knew Greek, right? And he knew his Hebrew. So he spoke all three languages. So maybe not so much Latin, but no. But then again, being that he's God, why not? So it's made it possible. And Jesus began to preach in Capernaum, and Capernaum was a big, major port. It had a, also a very big synagogue, a very big, famous synagogue. Most towns with merchants and everything, they want to have big synagogues. They want to have them. Now, in those, in those days, the synagogues were like miniature temples, okay? You, you basically, you can, it does not replace the temple, but that's where you learn the word of God. And it was probably, it made it possible also to not just learn Hebrew, Aramaic, but they most definitely taught Greek. You go outside of the Holy Land, outside of Israel. Most Jews, like Stephen, Stephen was a Hellenist. So he probably knew all four languages. He knew his Latin, he knew his Greek, he knew his Aramaic, and he knew his Hebrew. And because if you notice in the book of Acts, he he debated with the, the um, Greek-speaking and also the North African synagogues uh, people, they debated with him. And this was a, he was a very intelligent person. Stephen was pro, most highly educated, just probably as much as St. Paul was. And he was the first martyr. Um but, you know, if you continue, it's, you know, you can, you know, you have to understand that that world was not as primitive as, as some people, sorry, some people try to make it out to be. They were not as primitive. It was complex. If it wasn't complex, then we have, I think, I would, I would say it's a pretty, a, a big problem. It was complex, I think, a lot more complex than these liberal scholars try to make them out to be. I'm not a, I'm not a scholar. All I'm telling you is from a layman's perspective, I don't think it was as black and white. I don't think it was simple. I think it was very complex. I think it was very sophisticated. I think it was a very sophisticated world. And I think uh, the land of Israel in the time of our Lord, in the time of the apostles, was complex and very, very sophisticated and not not that easy to figure out. I think a lot of these scholars just don't want to admit it. Okay. If someone like Herod the Great can, can build and make a magnificent uh, temple, build over a mountain, knowing that he had to make the land en and envious, the envy of the, of the Middle East, to have a temple with all kinds of schools and scholars and everybody debating, drawing people, making Greeks and Romans want to come and admire the temple, admire the worship of the Jews, as bloodthirsty and murderous as Herod the Great was, and then to build Greek towns and cities throughout the land to draw business. He knew exactly how to build all the trade routes. And it was a very very complex world. And it was a world that Jesus lived in and preached in. And he, he preached. I mean, he went to Capernaum. Why did he go to Capernaum? Because that's where all the people were. He wanted to be heard by all the Jews from different, from, from, uh, in that region. But also there was a lot of Hellenistic Jews and there was also a lot of Gentiles. He wanted, he wanted people to spread the word. He wanted people to hear the word. He had a lot to do in three years, okay? If it's three years, three and a half years, you could say, and maybe no more than four. 
He preached and he preached and he preached and he wanted everyone to hear him. They all heard of John the Baptist. Now they're going to have to hear who this man from Nazareth is, this man from Galilee. And he wanted to make sure they all knew that. All right. Um, and it goes on here. He went around all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and curing every disease and illness among the people. His fame spread to all Syria and they brought to him all who were sick with various diseases and racked with pain and those who were possessed, lunatics, paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan followed him. How, you know, how, how fantastic is that? All right, so let's move on from here. All right, I'm going to read to you. This is um, a sermon by St. Bernard Abbott. Okay, it's uh, God's Word Will Come to Us by St. Bernard and Abbott. We know that there are three comings of the Lord. The th third lies between the other two. It is invisible while the other two are visible. In the first coming, he was seen on earth, dwelling among men. He himself testifies that they saw him and hated him. In the final coming, all flesh will see the salvation of our God, and they will look on him whom they pierced. The intermediate coming is a hidden one. In it only the elect see the Lord within their own selves, and they are saved. In his first coming, our Lord came in our flesh and in our weakness. And in this middle coming, he comes in the spirit and in power. In the final coming, he will be seen in glory and majesty. Because this coming lies between the other two, it is like a road on which we travel from the first coming to the last. In the first, in the first Christ was our redemption. In the last, he will appear as our life. In this middle coming, he is our rest and our consolation. In case someone should think that what we say about this middle coming is sheer invention, listen to what our Lord himself says. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him. There is another passage of scripture which reads, He who fears God will do good. But something further has been said about the one who loves, that is, that he will keep God's word. Where is God's word to be kept? Obviously in the heart. As the prophet says, I have hidden your words in my heart, so what I may not so that I may not sin against you against you. Keep God's word in this way. Let it enter into your very being. Let it take possession of your desires and your whole life. Feed on goodness and your soul will delight in its riches. Remember to eat your bread or your heart will wither away. Fill your soul with riches and strength. If you keep the word of God in this way, it will also keep you. The son with the father will come to you. The great prophet will build the new Jerusalem the great prophet who will build the new Jerusalem will come, the one who makes all things new. This is coming, this coming will fulfill what is written. As we have borne in the likeness of the earthly man, we shall also bear the likeness of the heavenly man. Just as Adam's sin spread through all mankind and took hold of all, so Christ, who created and redeemed all, will glorify all once he takes possession of all. Isn't that beautiful? So, the best way is to keep the Word of God in our hearts. This, we're in the middle. The first Advent, He came. In this Advent, the middle Advent, between the middle, between the, this is the one between the first and the third. We have to develop our relationship. To keep God's word is obviously in our heart, and there is no other way. And 
I if this was written, who knows how many centuries ago, and if a man like Saint Bernard and Abbott was able to understand this, then we have to do the same thing. He is present, and you eat the bread. The bread or your heart withers, beating the Eucharist. You have to feed on the Eucharist. You have to feed on the sacraments. You have to feed on the Word of God, the Bible. You have to continue to practice your Catholic faith. We, this is the only way we can, we can strengthen ourselves. There is no other way. Let me look up something else. This is another one. All this is from the Liturgy of the Hours. This is from the, um, the Advent readings, but they're still, they're still useful. Um, okay, this is from St. Deuteronian by St. Ephraim a deacon. Commentary on the Deuteronian, I'm sorry, on the Deuteronian by St. Ephraim. Keep watch, he is coming. Sorry, my Greek is bad, it's just my, it's as bad as my Latin. Okay, to prevent his disciples from asking the time of his coming, Christ said, about the hour no one knows, neither the angels nor the sun. It is not for you to know the times or the moments. He has kept these things hidden so that we may keep watch, each of us thinking that he will come in our own day. If he had revealed the time of his coming, his coming would have lost its uh, savior. Or savor, I guess you can say flavor or uh, quality of taste, I guess. It would no longer be an object of yearning for the nations and the age in which it will be revealed. He promised that he would come, but did not say when he would come. And so all generations and ages await him eagerly. Though the Lord has established the signs of his coming, the time of their fulfillment has not been plainly revealed. These signs have come and gone with a uh, multiplicity of change. More than that, they are still present. His final, his final coming is like his first. As holy men and prophets waited for him, thinking that he would reveal himself in their own day, so today each of the faithful longs to welcome him in his own day, because Christ has not made plain the day of his coming. He has not made it plain for this reason, especially that no one may think that he, that he whose power and dominion rule all, all numbers and times is ruled by fate and time. He described the signs of his coming, how he could, how could what he has himself decided be hidden from him. Therefore, he used these words to increase respect for the signs of his coming so that from that day forward all generations and ages might, might think that he would come again in their own day. Keep watch. When the body is asleep, nature takes control of us, and what is done is not done by our will, but by force, by the impulse of nature. When, keep, when deep listlessness takes possession of the soul, for example, faint-heartedness or melancholy, the enemy overpowers it. And makes it and makes it do what he what what he does not will, the force of nature, the enemy of the soul, is in control. When the Lord commanded us to be vigilant, he meant vigilance in both parts of parts of man, in the body, against the tendencies to sleep, in the soul, against lethargy and timidity. As Scripture says, "Wake up, you just, and I have risen, and I am still with you." And and again, do not lose heart. Therefore, having this ministry, we do not lose heart. What that one? That's interesting because it's not just laziness of the body. Because you know how you know people often talk about how. Uh, because think about it: when you develop bad habits, like overindulgence uh you get too comfortable with riches you get too comfortable of being comfortable where you have all your needs so therefore you have no need to be vigilant spiritually and no need to be vigilant physically such as your you know you you always have your comforts and you know in a sense so therefore a lot of people will will it, it also could affect the soul it also can affect you spiritually and mentally 
and bad habits begin to sit in. So, be, you know, to come into your life and therefore you are spiritually disconnected. You become uh, spiritually disconnected uh, from both your prayer life, your spiritual practices and disciplines, they say, and as well as your um, your spiritual, you know, like your, even with the scriptures, you may even start developing habits and ideas because you're hanging around the wrong people. And they begin, their, their ideas, their bad, corrupt ideas begin to infect your thinking about the scriptures and it affects you spiritually. And it affects you so, so spiritually that you no longer believe anymore. You know, they say, they the old saying, show me, show me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are. You keep bad company, you read bad, you read bad spiritual writings, bad scholarship, it begins to affect you. Because you all of a sudden, it's like Peter. Peter got up and left the Gentiles when certain Jewish Christians came from the Holy uh, from Palestine. He didn't want to associate with Gentile Christians, and Paul told him to his face. You know, told him you're a hypocrite. It's the same thing. Suddenly, you begin to associate. You don't want to associate with your devout, the devout ones, because they're embarrassing, because you're embarrassed of the way they think. You're embarrassed of the way they live their life. You're embarrassed of their spiritual practices. They, they, basically, you become ashamed of Christ. You become ashamed, of, uh, embarrassed of orthodoxy. You don't want to be associated with them. And so you denounce them. And by denouncing them, you're also denouncing Christ. That's what happened. All right, so I'm going to say the Our Father, and uh, we'll end it here. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.